you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope everybody's having a solid Tuesday afternoon. Number to call to join into the show, 334-321-1390. Also, find us on Facebook. You can watch the show on Radio Alabama Sports, ESPN 106.7, and Fox Sports Central Alabama Facebook pages. Comment. That's another way you can get through to us. We will talk about whatever you want us to talk about. So comment, call in, whatever is on your mind. We will talk about it. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Also on the show with us today, we got intern Sting on the mic with us. It's good to have you on board, my friend. Let's get started on today's show, gentlemen. Auburn officially signed North Carolina transfer Walker Kessler yesterday. We got the press le- press release about that. We were all wondering last week, towards the end of last week, we actually asked Christian Clemente on Friday how long or, or when we would see. Where was Walker Kessler at in that process of signing with Auburn, considering we had already seen Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green Jr. signed with Auburn officially and he said it would be Monday and guess what it was Monday and so right on the money right there Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com from that Friday edition of the show Walker Kessler yesterday signing with Auburn what dimension does the center now officially bring to Auburn next season I mean you're sure up a spot that I would say it was a little bit of a weak like not a weak spot but like it he improves it how about that he improves the center position just just by coming in, because I think he's more talented than what we have seen at the center position for Auburn at least last year. And, I mean, he's a former five-star guy. Talent is there. Underwhelming in North Carolina, but, like... I think it's a weak spot. I think it's fair to call Auburn's center position under Bruce Pearl, period. Even yeah. when Austin Wiley was here, I wouldn't have said... I was never overly impressed with Austin Wiley. We knew he had the tools, but I was always underwhelmed. Well, to- and a big part of that comes because he couldn't catch a basketball. I was about to say, to be fair, Austin Wiley was playing the game on hard mode or even like very hard mode because his hands were actually made of stone and it was really hard. <laughs> like He's built like Jared Cook where you know he has these rock hands and can't catch anything that comes his way. <laughs> Still a good basketball player, though. We're not trying to take anything no. away from his career. He was a solid piece down low and honestly, Auburn's best back-to-the-basket player at the center position that I can remember in quite some time in the last 20 years. Yeah, like at least within like the modern, you know, what you want to call modern age, within the past 20 years, two decades, he was the best back-to-the-basket player that Auburn had. I think it's fair, though, with his pedigree coming into the college game and how highly recruited he was, I think it's fair to say that it was underwhelming, the Austin Wiley time at Auburn. And, And I know he had to miss some time due to suspension because of the NCAA nonsense and then also on top of that he was a youngster when he first stepped onto campus considering he joined the season midway through when he still would have been in high school so I understand all that but the other part of the Austin Wiley 
tenure that I want to equate to this with Walker Kessler. They're different players, 100%. They're different archetypes at the center position. Walker Kessler is a stretch five. Austin Wiley is playing the game. The way he plays the game is is a dying breed if it's not already dead. And so I never thought that Austin Wiley flowed with the system. I always thought it was forced. Walker Kessler, it very well could flow. And and that's fair to say because that player, I mean, that breed of player is dead. Like, it's, it's, it's just not what people want. You saw guys who the game sort of just kind of went and evolved around them. You know, Andre Drummond was one of those guys where you were, like, a few years ago, Andre Drummond is just like, you were salivating at that kind of prospect. Jaleel Okafor coming out of Duke a few years ago, uh, he was touted as one of the best. He, there were people who said he should go number one overall. He goes number three, never does anything because his game was back to the basket basketball player and it is kind of dying breed like you have to have some sort of range in your game at the center position that was something Austin Wiley didn't really have so you're gonna have to get a little bit more a little bit more of a stretch out of your centers and your power forwards now that's just how the game is trended it's not just big guy go stand down low we give you the basketball you be big we (laughs) want you also to go pop out and shoot the basketball as well Wiley's classically trained yeah he, he was trained, yeah. In a way, in a way, like he was. He was trained to play. Uh, if Austin Wiley was here in like the '80s and like early '90s, like I think Austin Wiley would have been one of the best basketball players to come out of Auburn. Problem was, he just played in a system and a league. It that they're in just an era. It, he yeah in an era where he's not va- like his style of play just is not valued the way it used to be, and it really does not fit within the Bruce Pearl oh, system. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, especially within the Running system itself. Running up and down the yeah. floor. It always felt forced. He was clearly the focal point of that offensive game plan. They tried to get him the ball so many times down low, but the guy just did not possess soft hands. You're you're 100% spot on. Stone hands down low, and that affected things. But he wasn't fleet of foot either, able to run in the system. That's something different you're getting here with Walker Kessler because he's the tallest player we've seen at Auburn under Bruce Pearl. And that brings up questions. How well can this guy move? Can he run the floor with this team? And considering he's a stretch five and looking at some of his North Carolina highlights, I think this guy can run the floor. And I think he's going to be able to do it at a high level too. So this is an added dimension. This is the prototypical center for the Bruce Pearl system. And we haven't seen him have it yet. That is true. Like he hasn't, we haven't really seen a guy who can play center the way you would assume like Bruce Pearl would want his center to play. And Walker Kessler fits that mold better than any player that Bruce Pearl has gotten at that position. Anthony McLemore was the next best guy under Bruce Pearl to have played the system to be that true five that would play the system the way Bruce Pearl would want him to. Walker Kessler, now you've got size and ability married together at the five spot. Truly now you're looking at an Auburn starting lineup And that's where I want to take this conversation now, ranking Auburn's scoring threats for the upcoming season. Truly, when you look at Auburn's scoring threats next season and you look at the starting lineup, the center position is included. But when I was ranking these guys, I was like, good gracious, I don't know how to rank this because all of them are pretty ball-dominant players, especially the guards, of course, because they're the ones who are toting the basketball 75-80% of the time. But it was so difficult to rank these 
because all of them are going to have to command so much respect on the defensive end of the basketball because of their skill set. They all play a role for once. Bruce Pearl now has one through five on the roster. I would say the shooting guard position at the moment, just considering we don't know what the starting five looks like yet, Alan Flanagan could very well end up playing the two because JT Thor could return next season. And then I think one through five, everybody can score the basketball. But I don't know who's playing the two yet next year. So I I will say there are at least four guys out of the starting five that can all score the basketball consistently at a high level and would be a number one on another SEC team out there. Uh, That's fair to say. I mean, we saw, you know, we saw a guy like Desi Seals who could be, you know, at times a one. On and he probably rosters. will end up as the shooting guard, if I had to guess, at the I moment. If JT th- Thor does not return, I would imagine he will be the starting two. And the more the days pass by, the more I start leaning towards the fact that he's not coming back. Like, I just, it, and nothing supports that. It's just, I feel like the longer it takes, the more I'm thinking, and it's he's not coming back. And it seems like Auburn has been planning for him to not come back with who they've yeah. recruited and brought in. It just seems, yeah, it seems like Auburn has kind of accepted the fact and is probably, you know, leaning towards a life, a life where JT Thor stays in the nba draft i'm so sad about that though because what could have been what could have <laughs> who knows been? it's all, i mean it's already looking pretty good but what could have been if he does return man and, and i'm not i'm not staking next season post next season's postseason hopes on jt thor returning or not i actually don't think that it moves the needle that much whether or not jt thor returns next season for auburn to be to, for Auburn to make a deep run in the postseason I, I don't think that that really hinges on whether or not jt thor returns i'm just saying what could have been for the JT Thor career in an yes. Auburn uniform. It's more about how good this guy could have looked in college. But then again, we don't know. He could still return. But still, if he doesn't return, for me, it'll be what could have been because I think that guy could have been really good. I think he had all the tools to be a dominant player at the collegiate level. But you never know. You never know. There's still there's still a lot of time out there for these guys to make these decisions, and I'm sure he's doing his due diligence to make the right decision for him and his family. But let's get to it. Let's rank Auburn's scoring threats for the upcoming season. We will start at let's start at let, let's start at the bottom and, and rise to the top. Let's start let's start at four and then work ourselves to one. Let's don't start at the top of the list. Let's let's go in reverse order here. Starting at four here, who is the fourth best? I, t- I took four here because I, I don't know what the starting five looks like yet. That's fair. So I, I just that's decided good to do four. That's fine because I was having trouble with trying to find a fifth one anyway. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it, we would all have the same five guys, I'm sure. Yeah, it just It's just more of, of what order. Four for me, I'll just go ahead and step out there and say it. Walker Kessler oh, at what four for me. He's at the bottom of the list, not because of talent, but because the center position oftentimes, and we haven't seen this under Bruce Pearl yet, so I don't know. I don't know what it looks like and we will find out what it looks like because bruce pearl's statement about walker kessler coming to auburn very much so he's excited about being able to scheme things for him he said that being able to take advantage of mismatches he's a he's a matchup nightmare for opposing teams and so i think bruce pearl's licking his lips right now thinking oh my goodness look at all the things that i can do with this player but when i compare walker kessler to the guys in front of him jabari smith is going to probably command more of a role in this offense because of his scoring ability anywhere on the basketball floor and also you're talking about this guy could be a top five pick in next year's nba draft wendell green jr is going to be the point guard which means he's going to be carrying the basketball for at least half the time when he's on the floor this is a guy who's a ball dominant player I have a hard time believing that the basketball will be out of his hands for substantial periods of time. Just go and look back at how Auburn used Jared Harper. 
Same way here for Wendell Green Jr. He's going to be up there in terms of scoring averages. And then Alan Flanagan. So it came down to me having to decide between Walker Kessler and Alan Flanagan for this fourth spot. And I believe that a guard plays more, has more of a scoring threat in the Auburn offense and the Auburn system than Walker Kessler because Alan Flanagan is going to have the ball in his hands more and may be asked to carry the basketball more and dribble the basketball more and run the offense more than Walker Kessler will be. Walker Kessler will be dependent upon his guards to get him the basketball. Alan Flanagan, not as much so, even though I do believe he's going to be moving more to a wing position than what he was asked to do this past year. But I I, I still believe Walker Kessler to be fourth on on this list, mainly because of the nature of his position. Well, now it's now I'm thinking we have the exact same list since you were saying that it was coming down between him and you know Alan, Alan Flanagan. Flanagan. So yeah. that, I think that I think probably that, do. I think we still have the same list. Well, which then, Stink, is fair. what do you have it for? Well, you guys convinced me to put Walker Kessler at four. I was well, what did you have there? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure between three and four. I couldn't decide on if I wanted Kessler at three or four. But I think. Well, well, what, what, who else would you have had it for? Honestly, just probably, for the sake of an argument, probably Wendell Green, just because I don't okay. know what to expect from him. Sure, yet. and that's fair, and that's a fair argument. I just yeah. I see him, and we're talking I, about scoring threats here. Right, yeah, I think I it's fair know. to put the guy coming from Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, hundred percent fourth on the list. Yeah, and you don't know how he's going to be used or how many minutes he's going to get. So, yeah, going if he's going to be more of a distributor or if he's going yes. to be more of a scoring point guard, we don't know that yet either. Right. I didn't watch any Eastern Kentucky basketball games this year. I, I don't know about really. you guys. I did not really. Yeah, I think I would every put, night. I think I would put Kessler at four too, just because for that I'm not. I think you convinced me that I'm not really sure what his volume will be like, as far as how many shots he's going to take in a game and how much he's going to be relied on. He definitely has the skill set to be a high volume scorer, but will he? Because like we've been saying, Bruce Pearl's system is pretty guard heavy. I think he. I think he ends up being a pretty good scoring threat, despite me having. I think him he averages like, double digits, one hundred percent. Because the way he's the way I think he's going to be used is he's going to be more of that system where you have a guy kind of popping out towards you know the top of the key a lot and you're going to see a lot oh, of open pick and shots pop, baby like pick he's going to be the main screener yes he's going to pick and pop games with him are going to be nasty and then you think about it even when he's down low you're going to have guys with the way this roster is set up you're going to have guys who are shooting the ball a lot from downtown and we know that even some of the best ones are shooting just above 30 percent you know even great ones around 40 percent that means that 60 to 70 percent of the time they're missing threes you know who's going to be down there walker kessler if he can get some good putbacks going on he's still going to be a pretty good score kessler comes from a system that heavily is based on offensive rebounds and we'll talk about that on the other side of this break i want to make that point coming up on on the line you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater we'll be right back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater and Jackson Love. In turn, Sting on the line with us on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you can get through to on the line. Also, watch it get on Facebook on Radio Alabama Sports, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama Facebook pages. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater we will go back to our ranking list of Auburn scoring threats Auburn basketball scoring threats for the upcoming season in just a few moments but we've got planned today a fun segment that we haven't done in quite some time it's time to go back to the wheel of misfortune 
It's time for the Wheel of Misfortune. We take a look at the butt-fumbling, head-scratching choke artist of the week and select the biggest loser on the Wheel of Misfortune. Pretty self-explanatory if you guys are hearing this for the first time or it's been quite some time since you've heard us do the Wheel of Misfortune. Just a chance to kind of look around and see what unfortunate things have happened in the sports world, which quite a few unfortunate things have happened in the sports world in the last week. We're not going to bring up UFC, but you know there were some unfortunate things Ooh. that happened in the UFC this past weekend. Gruesome things. And, uh, and then also the knockout. Good gracious. I mean, there's Levi. You're shaking your head. Yeah, I say. I mean, normally I don't get to watch much uh, UFC because it's typically Saturday, which is the day that I, or Saturday night, a day that I'm. But working. you got to watch this time. But I actually got to hang out and watch. So because of the flak little, jacket. Yeah, because of uh, <laughs> you know my my quarterback jacket that I'm out here uh, trying to look like Mac Jones over here with my my jacket on. But it was nice to get to watch. I mean, there was a lot going on. I mean, a lot of knockouts that happened. You know, the knockout that happened. You know, I. Every, I thought it was funny that everybody said uh, Usman, that fight was boring with Usman. I, I ended up watching the highlights of it, the or the first one with Masvidal, was it later last year, I think. And then he just comes out and says, no more foot stomping. I'm just going to actually knock him out this time so everybody can, you know, keep their mouth shut. You know what's funny? Ocho Cinco was oh, at that press that, conference and Masvidal so- <laughs> said... You, you bet on me you know he was he was asking if he was a good lock and Masvidal didn't say anything for a little bit and then finally at the end he caught on to what he was saying and then he was like yeah you know I'm, I'm a good bet for this fight and then boom knockout there's a video of o- so maybe that could be a that could be a candidate for, the, for this there's Ocho a video Cinco. Of him, him slamming the like where he has like a little table in front of him Ocho Cinco does and he I think he ended up dropping like 15k on uh on Masvidal, and then there's the the end of where he just slams the table, and he see he looks just disgusted at the fact that he just lost that money. I understand it, and it was quick too. How long was it till the knockout? It was what was it? Is it round one, round two, round one? I don't remember which I round it was. It was a second round knockout. Yeah, I thought, it was, I'm not round. Sure. I thought it was like a couple minutes, like a minute or so into the second round. So that's, I mean, that's a yeah. really early knockout for the most part. Still not a first rounder. It's not like what happened between Uriah Hall and. Well, uh, what was it? Was it McGregor and Cerrone a few? Uh, it was earlier. It was over a year ago. It was like last, not this past January, the January before that. That was like seven seconds into the fight. He gets knocked out. So, I mean, well, look, note to self, I'm not going to be kicking Uriah Hall's calf muscle anytime soon. No, not that's, at all. That's, no. That is stuff. That, that is calves of steel. All right, let's spin the wheel. Who's going first? Who wants to go first? I got Sting one. Sting or, I, all right, Levi's going to go first. I got one. I got Levi's one. got it. Let's spin the wheel for Levi. I actually had a few that I was thinking of, but I'll stick with this one. I'll go with Madison Bumgarner. He uh, no-hit the Braves this weekend, and it doesn't count because it was a seven-inning doubleheader that happened. So it doesn't count for the no-hitter, which is a little unfortunate Did for I him. bring this up last week about the whole stats being a problem when you play only seven innings? It's only a problem because we haven't committed to it yet, But when though. we commit to but it. But when we commit when we to it and we just say, hey, look, guys, it doesn't matter. Just move on with your lives and we'll keep stats from here moving forward without ignoring what has happened in the past and not in the games. I've had this conversation with some people in the past week, and I have still yet to be put off my my pedestal here of saying uh, like i'm on my soapbox i still and i went to a seven inning baseball game this past weekend seven inning baseball is best baseball convince me otherwise that's true it was i was at that game too it was nice to not be sitting there for a full nine innings but are we gonna go 
Yeah, well, it was warm. Are we going to go retroactively count Madison Bumgarner's no hitter though? If we if we move to seven innings, or is it just going to be lost to history? No, it'll lost be lost to history. But in my personal record book, he does have a no hitter against the Braves, as well as KD has no rings. You know, all those great things. <laughs> like he he's in my record book as no hitting the Braves, and honestly. <laughs> He should be, you know, Madison Bumgarner, Cy Young Award this year. I mean, go ahead. He got a no-hitter. Lock him down. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and look, seven-inning baseball, just going back to that real quick, coaches awesome. and players and people that work in baseball hate me for saying this. They hate it. That's because they work in it. They're not watching it. They've been playing nine innings their whole life. It's just completely different. And I understand them being opposed to it from their position and from and from their perspective i get it but fans would enjoy it you can't deny that fans would enjoy the fact that it would be seven innings i think if the managers want to get upset about it they need to grow up a little bit because they're out there wearing a uniform anyway i love that though no uh, 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 no. uh, uh, wear wear a suit wear a suit no i do like the coaches yes they look like overgrown kids to me no see my wife asked me that question this weekend too we talked about this yesterday my (laughs) wife asked me that question she's like why are the why are the coaches in uniforms? I was look, like, I, I was like, I don't know. It's tradition. That's that's what you do. I don't like it. And they have a number and everything. I, I like it. Look, let's apply this to other sports, though. It just doesn't feel right, though, for any of the other sports to do it. Imagine, imagine oh, Coach, Coach Harson just suited up in full shoulder pads I, and Bruce Pearl, Bruce Pearl in a basketball, in a basketball uniform. uniform. I that's am imagining saying. Bill Belichick walking down the sideline in a Patriots jersey, and I kind of love. No, no, one. not just the jersey. You got pads, pads, and everything. Pads and a headset, or or the headsets inside the helmet. I'm telling you. I think the only way you can convince me seriously, though, how did this manager. happen, though? Why, if, if somebody has knowledge of this? why that yeah, is the way like, it is I w- it's if, interesting i'm I'll not take, opposed to it i think it looks cool but. i'll take a guess and say maybe back in the day they had coaches who also had to play for the team so they just had to uh like you had like player coaches that's that was, not a bad guess that's just and that's just it's a random shot guess. because it makes a little bit of sense that is not a bad guess yeah i just never took them off all right sting <laughs> spin the wheel for you So I'm going to stay in baseball for this one, too, like Levi. But I'm going to go with a team, not a player. Uh, the New York Yankees, they're struggling. They're 9-13, and which is last in the AL East, and they have the worst slugging percentage in the entire major league. They're also having the worst April since the 2016 season. Wait, go back to that. I didn't, I didn't catch that. The worst what? In worst the slugging percentage. That is shocking Yeah, with last. how their batting, how, how, how their, their order is, yeah, is how, built. How their team is constructed, you would think. I did not know that. I knew they were having a hard time hitting. And I know they've been very underwhelming this year. Of course, you, you see the standings in there at last. But to know that their slugging is the worst, that is that is befuddling. Do you want to hear just how bad the offense is doing? Because I have numbers for that. I've got... Go for it. Yeah. Let's do it. In the last nine games, Gary Sanchez is 2 for 28 with 10 strikeouts. In the same stretch, uh, Glaber Torres is 6 for 33. In the last 10 games... Man, that sounds like Vanderbilt football over the last four years. Yeah. In the last 10 games, Aaron Hicks is 4 for 33. Clint Frazier is 2 for 37. DJ LeMayhew is 2 for 20. And Brett Gardner is 1 for 19. Mm. It's really mm. bad. Yeah, so they're, ha- they're having a really tough time. And, you know, they're getting crushed by the Tampa Bay Rays. Brett Gardner is destroying my name. Come on. <laughs> at, at least they're, like, it's not good, but their run differential, they're, they're minus 10 in differential, which isn't good. But, right. like, when you look at some of the teams that are around them, like, as far down as they are in the standings where you're seeing, you they know. They should not be in that company. Yeah, the Tigers are, you know, they're minus 38 run differential, which is just 
abysmal. I mean, you have like the Rangers who are minus 23. So they're around teams that like way down the bottom that they're at least looking like they're better than. I just, I don't know what it Similar is. Similar boat that the Braves are in. You know, look, the, the Athletics, what, they started the season like 1-7, 1-8, and then they went on a 13-game winning streak. Yeah. And they're sitting at like 14-8 and eight now before it got snapped the other night. Third, it's like, look, at, at any point, and I know you're not happy about it I'm because not. you're an Astros I'm fan, not. and the Astros aren't Especially doing because very well. the Astros opened that season with a four-game sweep of the Athletics, and, and like, now, now the they Astros can't lose anymore. are last in the... They're actually fourth now because they're okay. back up to 500. They won last <laughs> night. They're 11-11 11 11 on the season. Y'all are, y'all are, Interesting. Y'all keep talking about who's leading the divisions and all this other stuff, but like I can't hear y'all up here at the top of the league over here. I mean, just saying. The Royals having a, having a standout year. The that bet. is true. Best record in baseball. But going back to my point, the Yankees and the Braves both in a similar boat. They're not getting destroyed. They don't have the worst run differentials in the world right now. And and you know that they have the talent in the lineup once it begins because the Braves aren't hitting well either right now. They're not really pitching that great either. They're kind of they're kind of not doing anything well at the moment, but you know that the bats are good enough once they get hitting like they're capable of. They're good enough to overcome the issues that they have in the pitching staff and they can still make it to the playoffs it's early and they're only a couple of games below 500 Braves are like 10 and 12 right now and you said the Yankees are 9 and 13 right yeah so, so I mean, I mean they're, they're only like four I, games in the hole yeah, I mean when you, when you I play mean, a thousand games you know a season like you always have time to make it up that's right but right. if you did seven inning baseball games not as much time <laughs> not as much I'm gonna give uh Acuna my my back brace over here you know to stabilize him from carrying the Braves to what wins they have gotten Go ahead and spin the wheel for myself, Sting. All right, I'll have to go quick here. I'm going to go with the New York Knicks having their streak snapped last night by some circus shots and Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's, you know, there was a a video of Stephen A. Smith today on ESPN talking about how you shouldn't rule him out as a candidate for the MVP award, which is shocking to be talking about Chris Paul in this light this late in his career. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy. I'm happy for him, too, because he's largely been written off by a lot of teams that he's been playing for. Think about it. He's bounced from team to team. He's been with the Rockets. He's been with the Thunder, and now he's over with the Suns. third team in three years. Everybody was saying he's not going to suit up for the Thunder. Like, they're going to end up, like, buying him out or whatever, and he had he had an MVP type of year last year for the Thunder because that Thunder team you see what you see what it is without him they're terrible and now he's actually coupled up with some players in Phoenix like Devin Booker that can Young score players. the basketball DeAndre Ayton down low look at them they're like forty one and eighteen or they're something second, like that they're second in the yeah. West nobody is talking wow. about hey, them you know yeah. they're gonna have to play the Lakers in the playoffs right it's just gonna work out that way and LeBron and Anthony Davis will probably be back it, it, it's like the Atlanta Hawks from a couple years ago all over again yeah more exactly. of on the line on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Headed to the phone lines now. Joining us on On the Line here on Tuesdays, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us to start off our week. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are y'all? We are doing great. We appreciate you hopping on with us here on Tuesday. Going back to A Day from a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've been talking about our defense this week on on the line, and and what things did you see out of the defense schematically that are different from the past regime? A lot of different things going on in that ball game. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the big things you saw is the defensive fronts being being changed up. I don't think Auburn ever had a had a single uh, snap where they had like four true defensive linemen on the field at the same time. It was a lot of like two down fronts and three down fronts uh, as well. And I think it's just the way they've adapted uh, these edge players, uh, moving guys around on the defensive line. You're going to see a lot more of that. You know, this is not a team that's going to necessarily go at you with with four defensive linemen on every play like we've kind of seen in the past under under Kevin Steele and uh you're gonna see a lot more mixing and matching uh guys moving around uh the linebacker spots a lot more blitzing from the inside guys and the safeties uh you know we saw defensive backs moving around we saw edge rushers dropping back into coverage and we saw a lot more zone, I think, than what we've been used to seeing under Kevin Steele. There was a lot of man in that scheme. Um, you're going to see, I think, a lot more zone because of the different ways you play up front. So, you know, I think it, there's going to be a lot of differences. Um, you kind of under the hood for this defense, but I think it's I think there are changes that are going to fit um, these, these guys' skill set really well. I mean, you know, Roger McCreary is a really good zone corner uh, when he's had the opportunity the last few years. I think. Uh, a guy like, um, you know, you, you get a guy like Derek Hall. He's athletic enough uh, to drop back into coverage and do a variety of things instead of just being a straight-up pass rusher. Colby Wooden, you know, last season played most of his time at Buck or, you know, kind of doing some stuff at defensive end. He's going to be playing a little bit more inside this season, and I think that's a big deal because uh, if you go back and watch his film from last season, a lot of his best work came, uh, you know, when he was beating guards uh, and, or, or tackles on the inside. So um, I think I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, fit for Derek Mason and this team. Um, I think the talent that he's got, they're going to be a really good defense, and I think all our fans should be very encouraged by how fluid everything looked. I thought during a day uh, for the defense side for someone for for a group that has a completely new playbook and a completely new system. Uh, I thought they looked really good on that side of the ball. On yesterday's show, we ranked Auburn's most important defensive players. Who comes to mind at the top of that category for you on this defensive side of the football? Yeah, it's going to be you know the combination, I think, is Jacob and McLean and Ellen Bapo. Just because when you look at the history of Derek Mason defenses, they love to set the edge on the outside and funnel a lot to the inside. These inside linebackers have a ton of responsibility, which is which is the case in any defense. But, uh, you know, when you are really trying to, you know, you're, if you're not playing as nearly as many guys up front as you usually as you used to, you're going to need your linebackers to be really good at run support. You're going to need them to drop back into coverage really well. And I think in run stopping, they're going to have to do a lot of the dirty work uh, for Auburn. And so, uh, as Kevin McClain and I are both – really good fits for this scheme, especially especially Kobe and his his way of being really instinctive around the field and, and tackling. And I think you know, those two guys I just mentioned, Wooden and Hall, I think would have to be pretty high up there. Wooden being, I think, your best defensive lineman uh, at this point, uh, coming off that big fr- retro freshman year he had. Hall being your top pass rusher uh, and kind of the leader of a group where you don't really know, uh, you know what else you got on the edges yet. Uh, there's just a number of candidates there. And then um, you know, up to up top, I think not only do you have uh, Roger McCurry in the secondary that, that that plays a huge role because of how valuable he is as the number one corner with experience, but Smoke Monday kind of being the quarterback of the defense, being a real vocal leader. I think playing under uh, Derek Mason is going to help him a lot. Being trained specifically under Derek Mason is going to help him a lot. 
because Derek Mason's got a really good uh, track record developing guys to be really consistent. Um, you know, eye discipline and all that kind of kind of good stuff. And I think Smoke had a really good spring, um, kind of taking up that mantle of leadership. Uh, and now that he's back there with some new faces uh, following the departure of Jamie Sherwood. So I'm gonna shift this. I'm gonna shift this over to basketball real quick. I know that you've been studying up on the monsterverse and kaiju's and stuff like that. So where does this seven footer <laughs> Walker Kessler? Where does he rank with guys like Godzilla and King Kong? <laughs> well, it's it's, it's 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 pretty funny because this this Auburn team, you know, you've got guys coming in this front court. Um, you know, honestly, it's just something that Auburn's really never had. Uh, Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith together. Both front court guys, six ten, seven one. You got a six ten shooter, uh, all around scoring threat in Smith, and you have a seven one dude in Kessler. It's been a while since Auburn's had a seven seven footer. Period. Uh, I'd be hard pressed to find a seven footer that they've had in the past that has as polished of an offensive game. Now Auburn's had some seven footers in the past that are really good shot blockers, uh, really good defensive weapons, really good rebounders, and Kessler's got that ability. But man, he is a great polished scorer. Um, so I mean. It's going to be really crazy because this Auburn team, their mo, even you know in the good runs with Bruce Pearl recently, have been kind of been on the smaller side. Now they've become one of the bigger teams in college basketball over the last couple of years, and that should only increase when you add a guy like Kessler into the picture. Um, you know, and, and Pearl said yesterday he is a matchup nightmare. Uh, he is a stretch five. He is going to be able to do a lot of different things for you. He's kind of those. He's kind of one of those modern centers. Uh, you know, in Auburn. Over the last few years, under Pearl, they've either had undersized centers or guys like Austin Wiley, who are kind of traditional basketball guys. He is more of the mold of what you see in the NBA nowadays, where you aren't afraid to put your seven-footer at the top of the key, you know, on the high post, and let him either shoot or orchestrate your offense and kind of pass pass around and do a lot of different things there. So he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, like I said, between him and Smith. Uh, I don't know if he's the two most talented players Auburn has ever gotten in the modern recruiting era on paper. Um, they just have skill sets at their size that I don't think Auburn really has ever had before. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on today's show, we've been ranking our top scoring threats for next season. And Walker Kessler now joins a group that is, this, this may be the most electrifying, at least from a potential perspective here when you talk about recruiting rankings and you talk about all these guys and their ability to score the basketball he joins a loaded lineup maybe the most loaded lineup in terms of scoring potential who is at the top of that list for Auburn next season in terms of being the best scoring threat for the Tigers yeah that's a good question because I think you know the guards Auburn has are all capable of lighting it up like you've seen the, the you know Wendell Green Zepp Jasper and now Desi Sills there are big 20, 30-point games in their stat lines um, all throughout. But, you know, it's the consistency there and sharing the basketball. I think, you know, it would be interesting to see if it gets to the point. But, like, if Jabari Smith is as advertised, this is the type of dude who can do some of everything on the floor. Um, he is a 6'10 player who plays like a modern NBA wing in the fact that he wants to drive by people and he wants to shoot from deep. And he wants to get involved in the pick and roll and the pick and pop game. Um, and he's very confident with the ball in his hands. And, you know, he is a multi level scorer who can fill it up and top five, top six player in the country, depending on who you look at. 
Auburn hasn't had that kind of like, oh, this is a one-and-done type of talent right off the bat. So I think Smith would probably be your best bet because he can beat you in so many different ways. Um, but the thing there is that he doesn't have a ton of experience or any experience at all, I should say, at the college level. But, yeah, I think when you look at Smith and Kessler, they've got to be really high up there because, like I said, they've got skill sets that Auburn doesn't really have. But the thing about Auburn next season, which makes them so scary, I think, is all those guards are capable of catching fire at any moment. We know um, they, that Alan Flanagan can do that. We know that Jalen Williams can put put the ball in the basket pretty regularly as well. We know Devin Cambridge can also get hot. There are a number of guys on this team that can kind of light it up. Um, so, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how the scoring breaks down next season because those young front court players are going to get a lot of attention, and that's a good thing because they're that good. But – um, you've got a lot of guards and wings next season that you know when they get rolling, uh, the basket looks gigantic to them. And that's a really good sign for Auburn. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us for today's show. Tell everybody where they can find your content and subscribe to it. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com is where you can check it out. Uh, we've got uh, – I did a couple of stories here to start on, on Monday and Tuesday this week uh, where – we ran down uh, every scholarship player that went through screen, spring practices for Auburn and kind of gave a kind of a scouting report snapshot of where they stand right now, kind of a refresher on, on what we learned during camp. So you can check that out at the website tomorrow morning. We've got a uh, premium podcast coming out for subscribers <clears throat> uh, with Alex Kirshner of Split Zone Duo. A lot of really fun conversation with him about Auburn uh, football and some other and, and some other topics. Got a mailbag later this week. Got some basketball uh, newsletters as well that we're going to want to do. And uh, AuburnObserver.com is where you sign up for it. $6 a month or $60 a year. You get access to everything we write, everything we do on the podcast, and we send it to you uh, in your in your email inbox. You don't have to wait for a link or check the website or anything like that. You can read it in your inbox on your own time. So check it out, AuburnObserver.com. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Absolutely. I'll be good. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. On the other side of this break, we wrap up our number one and we talk about some some of the SEC East teams. What one question do we have for all of them? Lots still coming up here on On the Line. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line, and we'll garner Levi Fitzwater and intern Sting on the line with you. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Get your crime show fix on CBS starting at 7 with NCIS and then at 8 with FBI. Some movie selections for tonight. Wolverine heads to Japan after finding out there is a way for him to remove his immortality. The Wolverine is on AMC at 7. Another installment of the Fast and the Furious series. The Fate of the Furious is on FX at 6. A detective is hired to find the Miami Dolphins missing mascot. Ace Ventura, a pet detective, is on IFC at 7. In live sports, there's one 
MLB game to be nationally televised with the Boston Red Sox at the New York Mets at 6:10 on ESPN. In college baseball, Georgia Tech and Georgia take their rivalry to the baseball diamond at 7 on SEC Network. There are two NBA games on TV at 6 on NBA TV. Catch the Milwaukee Bucks and the Charlotte Hornets. At 8.30, it's the lone TNT game and it's on the West Coast. The Dallas Mavericks travel out to California to play the sharpshooting Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Last segment of hour number one here, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting on the line with you. The number to call us, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Once again, 334-321-1390. Thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in our previous segment. If you missed any of that conversation or do you ever miss a conversation or segment of a show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Coming up in hour number two of the show, we will be selecting one question that we have for each sec east team we will be coming up with a question that we have for each sec east team which means we will also be doing the sec west another day whether it's this week or the next we will come back to this topic and look at the sec west but i think it's a fun way as we leave spring to kind of allow us to review some of the other teams in this league and we will take a look at the weaker division first and then we will we will take a look at the the big boys of the league on the other side possibly next week or, or maybe throughout this week but one question for each sec east team will be coming up in hour number two as well as ranking auburn scoring threats for the upcoming season for basketball next year we've only given you our, our last guy it's been walker kessler for all three of us even though sting was going to be different and then we convinced him otherwise but i was here for it i i, I like a little diversity in the room I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought he was, like, I thought this thing was going to stick with his ground on that one, and then he, you know, he just, he backed up a little bit, he, 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 he I listened to reason. He, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. That well, look, true. hey, we just made such compelling arguments Argument and provided such a good reasoning. Case closed. Just, Walker Kessler, though, good. will still be an outstanding player for Auburn next season. What we're more trying to illustrate on that topic is that there is an unprecedented amount of scoring firepower in the Auburn lineup. Never seen before. Never seen before. So uh, Walker Kessler is going to start and he's going to play a major role in Auburn's team next year. I just think he's, you know, a little bit down the list, maybe, you know, three or four guys down the list in terms of scoring, you know, you know, primary scores on, on the roster. There are a couple of guys that may even be in front of him on that list, which is which is promising for Auburn folks. People should be very excited about next year's basketball roster but taking this over to the side of things where we're going to be talking about the sec east coming up in hour number two and one question for each of the sec east teams looking back at last season what is one word that sums up the sec east in 2020 last year's football season this past year that just ended what is one word that sums up the sec eastern division frauds i like that actually even though Florida did give us one of the best SEC championships that we can remember in quite some time, aside from the one that Georgia gave Alabama, but typically they're not too competitive. That's true. But also what happened after? I mean, Oklahoma. Obliterated by Oklahoma. Oklahoma. You're right. But Who? what were they playing for? I That's hate true. that argument. But what was, I mean, Dan what Mullen was? totally bought into it too. He was like, well, they were playing my scout team. I mean, I'm going to do like – I get it from a coach, and I get it from a player. You don't like Dan Mullen. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I will not you hide that. You don't like Dan Mullen. I do it not. Was the, 
I have not liked him since he was in Mississippi State. He's I will like, not I, hide that. He said, I don't think you like him very much. <laughs> <laughs> I also just think it's a cop-out because I don't, I don't like that argument. It's... I'm, I'm sorry. Auburn that you fans didn't get apply what you it to the UCF game, though. I don't like that either. Win I mean, the game. Win, I win thought the last Auburn game. played to win that game. You look at it; they were trying to come oh, back at the like, end. Yeah, but I, it, I meant like win the game, but the, the win the game that you lost and got you sent to this game. Win that, and you're not um, sitting here. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. And I mean, stinks. in that Auburn situation, more one, of what I'm trying to say though is you can't sum up the entire SEC East calling them frauds because Florida got blew out in a bowl game that they obviously didn't care much about i thought georgia was a national championship contender what happened to that no that's a, that's a good point no my, my word is underwhelming i thought don't know it was if tennessee, I'd go as tennessee's year what happened there frauds wow you're actually you're you're convincing me a little bit here you brought tennessee out that's true that's true i went Any, with underwhelming anytime you want to make an argument just trot tennessee out there and just show off him like will smith on the red carpet just pointing <laughs> to tennessee he's like you get me now like yeah okay that's fair tennessee my word's top heavy. I thought Georgia and Florida were the only. That was another teams. word I considered. That's fair. Worth That's their fair. Salt. Top heavy is really good. Yeah, I just I thought it was those two. And of course, you know Georgia won their bowl game against Cincinnati. Florida didn't win their bowl game, but they they won the division. And then after that, there wasn't really a thing. I guess Missouri was okay. They were five and five, which is there was better the, than I thought they were going to be. Still, the thing though is the gap between Missouri and Tennessee is much closer than the gap between Georgia and Missouri right, and Florida definitely. and Missouri. Right, those, so. You're right in top heavy. I like that. I went underwhelming because look at the entire league. First of all, look, Florida, yes, I, I will give you that to a degree at the end of the season, how everything blew up, but at least they they gave Alabama a good football game. Georgia, yes, you brought that up. That's also another accurate assessment. We talk about their defense last season as being one of the best defenses ever to play the game of college football. I don't think we got that product last season out of Georgia. Still a good defense, but I, I wouldn't say elite or anything like that they they played well but still what did that do for them they didn't even get to the the sec championship kentucky even had a down year they had to win two of their they they went on a two-game winning streak at the at the end of the year to at least put together a five and six season but i was a little underwhelmed with what we saw out of kentucky missouri punched above their weight class so i'll say they weren't underwhelming south carolina got their coach fired how do you beat auburn and then have that type of turnaround when you also play in a league with Tennessee and Vanderbilt on your schedule that are equally as troubled as you are. And Vanderbilt didn't win a football game last year. And then Tennessee, also, it was supposed to be their year, and it wasn't. I mean, it's always supposed to be. It's always Underwhelming season. Hey, this year, though, Tennessee's year. I really thought the SEC East last season was going to be competitive at the top, and it was a a two-team race. I mean, you would think... Like, I really thought it was going to be competitive. And it's crazy to think, but Tennessee's... Like, because Tennessee has been so abysmal and, like, underwhelming, that's that's what's hurt it. Because if Tennessee's playing oh, better... Oh, that 100% was then, why people thought it was going to be competitive yes, last year. Because they then, thought Tennessee was going to join in. And then they don't, and you're still with the same two-team race. Uh, and Kentucky you, wasn't as good as people may have thought they were going to be last year as well. It's crazy to think that it fringes on Kentucky. Like for this for this SEC East to be competitive. Well, like looking forward to next year, at least in my opinion, because I don't think Tennessee gets it done this year. New coach, you have a lot going on in that program right now. I don't think they can compete with the big boys. But if you're looking at who it is in the SEC East that you're looking like, hey, let's make it more than a two team race. It's Kentucky and Missouri, and that's just weird to think about when you look at it. Like you're thinking it's up to Connor Basilak and it's up to Kentucky to 
to make this a more competitive yeah. SEC East. It's, it's weird. It's weird to say like ago. it does. It doesn't feel right coming out of my mouth saying that. It doesn't. Yeah, try you know, Tennessee fans. Tennessee fans believe the same thing. Unfortunately. <laughs> Well, maybe Josh Hobel gets it done in his first year. Who knows? I highly doubt that. Same. I don't. And we'll tell you why we highly doubt that <laughs> yeah. in hour number two when we assess all of these SEC East teams. More of On the Line coming up, hour number two on the other side of this break. You are On the Line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting with you in the studio. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to On the Line. Once again, 334-321-1390. Also, watch the show on Facebook, airing live right now on Radio Alabama Sports, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and ESPN 106.7. Facebook pages. Follow ESPN 1067 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 1067. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We previewed this as we went out of hour number one and into hour number two. We were saying what one word sums up the SEC East in 2020. And Levi, in all of his eloquence, says, frauds. Well, here we go. One question for each SEC East team. We will take a look at each SEC Eastern Division football program, and we will provide a question that we have about this team for the upcoming football season. A concern, a question, maybe even a question that you have for the program. I don't know. That could open some things up here, but... Let's get after it, gentlemen. And we'll just go in alphabetical order, which unfortunately is going to take some of the good teams out early on, and we'll get to the bad teams later. But <laughs> let's start it off with the good teams. Or, or, or maybe, you know what? No, let's start with the bad teams. Let's go in reverse alphabetical order. Well, it, it, It's kind of funny. The, the You could look at this league in alphabetical order. And be like, oh, that and works. That, yeah. that could be the standings next year. He's like, that's fair. That's fair. That, it actually you looks know, that way. May, it's kind maybe, of crazy a, thing. maybe plus or minus in some locations, maybe up a spot one or down a spot one. But it's really not that not that bad out of order in terms of tiers so let's start at the bottom then with Vanderbilt the Vanderbilt Commodores new head coach Clark Lee I kind of flying under the radar a little bit in terms of coaching changes I thought it was a good hire though really excited about it for Vanderbilt because I think this guy brings a good culture with discipline and whatnot possibly if they can get the offense going next year which I I, I do think that is the bright spot of their football team they could win a game or two maybe even get dangerously close to a bowl game watch out those commodores could be bowling but vanderbilt my question about the commodores is how does vanderbilt look when they play are they disciplined are they competitive they were not competitive at all this past football season Derek mason the wheels fell off but something you could say about Derek mason's tenure at vanderbilt 
was that they always were competitive. They played hard and they played physical. For me, does Clark Lee, what type of culture does he bring to Vanderbilt next season? Because it is a great, you know, depending on how these guys look, are are they playing hard? Are they competitive? Or are they just getting ran over and blown out? I don't care about the talent deficiency there. Derek Mason was still able to get the most out of his guys every season except for last year, which ultimately ended to his demise at Vanderbilt but still he was able to get the most out of his guys and we always talked about him that way and that's why we believe he's a good coach coming to Auburn to this day we believe he's a good coach we're not charging his credit history with what happened at Vanderbilt that's not something we're holding against him my thing is though are these players buying in to the new head coach at Vanderbilt is Clark Lee going to be able to get the most out of his guys because I think that can give you a look at the trajectory of the program moving forward into the future this year are they buying in the results may not be there but are they buying in that is my question about Vanderbilt this upcoming year because you look at their schedule they've got some winnable games even in non-conference play that could kind of put them on the map a little bit they play Stanford in the non-conference schedule and you look at two teams that have the same types of recruiting parameters around education and that they have to go and get the smart guys and that they have to recruit around that and it's hard to bring players in of that 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 are also high caliber that also fit those parameters Stanford's down right now but they still have the name that Jim Harbaugh and Shaw built over these last couple of years or last decade I should say but the last couple of years they've been down and Stanford's towards the bottom of the Pac-12 again it's a winnable game, but enough a name value there if Vanderbilt were to beat Stanford where it kind of gives you a little bit of clout going into SEC play and maybe some confidence that Vanderbilt could pull an upset in SEC play against a South Carolina or a Tennessee or some of the other squads on their schedule. If Vanderbilt can go 4-0 in non-conference play, they could be in the mix for a bowl game. 4-0 puts you two wins away and they could feasibly find two wins in the SEC East. It's, I mean, yeah, it's doable. I mean, if you go 4-0 in the non-conference, and it's crazy to think that they're – I think I, – I feel better about them playing Stanford because, one, it is in Nashville. And if I'm taking a guess from what I've seen, the way that they schedule those games, it might be an 11 a.m. kickoff, which would turn into a 9 a.m. kickoff for Stanford coming across the country playing that early. And that really helps you win – there's a difference between playing a game at 11 o'clock in the morning and 9 o'clock in the morning. You see that all the time with Pac-12 teams traveling east. And not even just talking about time zones here, but do you remember two years ago, 2018, Vanderbilt plays Notre Dame, 11 a.m. kickoff? Vanderbilt laid it all out on the field. Yeah, like those 11 a.m.s, look back to Auburn in 2006. They lost two of them. They lost to Arkansas at home. They lost to Georgia at home, and they were a much better team than that Georgia team. And it's just sometimes it's hard to – I'm going to say this, pun intended, get up. It's really yeah. hard to actually get it's up the truth. for that game. Auburn still has that problem, I think. Oh, yeah, I, I don't mean, know. I, feel, I, I don't know. I think recent history. I think recent's been better, I but I feel like I feel like recently's been better because for every one of those games that you wake up and you look, there's a South Carolina game that you struggle with. There's one of those snoozers of Arkansas where you wake up and you just absolutely dismantle them. And you forget about that one because you're like, I think oh. Auburn's had a pretty good history of at least winning. Those I feel like in my, games. I feel like in my night, and I think it's in my lifetime. I feel like I've highlighted those games more, which is why we you, always do. Which it, is why you think that they have a problem with that. But yeah, I mean, like they every can single win. Auburn fan does. You can win that Stanford game if you're Vanderbilt at Colorado State. A little bit tough. That's a weird one. But look uh, at Vanderbilt's history in non-conference play, though. 2017, they beat Kansas State. Played Notre Dame really hard in 18. 
they have gone on to win some of these tough non-conference games in the past and that Vanderbilt team that beat Kansas State I think Kansas State was ranked at the time that they beat them and then remember Vanderbilt was undefeated and they're like we want Bama and then they got Bama and it, it wasn't good there were but, more there were more Alabama fans there than there were uh then there were Vanderbilt fans and it was it was not good but they that have a, a pretty good time they have a pretty good non-conference history over the last couple of years I would it's say like at least get, being able to beat teams of Stanford's caliber this upcoming year think about it like this if they go undefeated in conference play and then you're looking at if they win one out of a South Carolina Mississippi State Tennessee maybe Missouri you don't know how good they're actually going to be you trust them a little bit more because they have a returning quarterback but like how much do you actually trust them I think Winning, I think winning two out of a South Carolina, Mississippi State, Missouri, Tennessee is feasible after you've won your four non-conference games, which is important. You're going to have to beat Stanford. You're going to have to win at Colorado State. You're going to have to beat UConn, which, let's be honest, I, I feel comfortable with them beating UConn more than I feel like beating the other ones. And well, they're then, an FCS school now. Yeah, and then you have the East. You have Eastern Tennessee State University Buccaneers that you open the season with. So at minimum, you should go two and zero in non-conference. But if you can go 4-0, steal a game from a Mississippi State, you know, South Carolina, Tennessee, you might be looking at a bowl game. You might be bowling. And that's crazy to say. But they get uh, – this this Vanderbilt team, to kind of go off your your question – or your uh, question for them was the same as mine. Like, I, my biggest question is what does this team look like with Clark Lee? Because we've seen it for years with Derek Mason. Outside of, you know, towards the end, you said it best, Will sort of came off. You kind of lost the the edge that they had been playing with. Because you had Vanderbilt, who they came out and always played tough. Whether they got blown out, whether the whether they were outmanned, whatever. 2016 Auburn pushed them to the limit. Auburn fans know about Vanderbilt. 2000, yeah. 2008 Auburn. Yeah. They beat them. I mean, they beat Auburn 2008. I mean, that was a weird year. Sting, real quick so we don't stay on Vanderbilt for a whole segment. Yeah, my question is just about how Clark Lee's defense 425 scheme is going to translate for Vanderbilt and for the SEC at large because I think SEC is going through a bit of a revolution now where they're passing the ball a lot more and six seven years ago I can remember sitting in the stands when Ellis Johnson was the defensive coordinator here at Auburn and just hearing like that's why you can't run a 4-2-5 in the SEC because they're a ground and pound hard-nosed running back conference and they still are in some teams for sure obviously like Najee Harris being in Alabama but teams are throwing the ball a lot more you had LSU Two seasons ago, you had Alabama last year. You have Florida throwing the ball over the place. So, I guess how does that defense defensive scheme translate? Because it's a new scheme. It's they're going away from Derek Mason Mason's three four four three kind of scheme. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Are they able to make it look good? Maybe win some games in the SEC, like you guys have been saying, or do they just does it not work? Do they keep getting run through? Kevin still made me lose my appetite for the four two five because he wouldn't get out of it. And Auburn just all season long like that was it that was it that was all you saw Auburn except for the the odd times where they would what go to what what was it the three one seven that'd be what it was against they against had to LSU do that, yeah and Mississippi State but still like I I can't stand the like it, it made me lose oh. my appetite for it because. Auburn was always at a disadvantage against the running game, which is true. I mean, for the better running teams, I mean, you should be able to adjust for that. Auburn's never adjusted. So, really, my beef isn't as much with the 4 2 5 as it was with just how Auburn never adjusted on the defensive side of the football to that. But let's move on. Let's get another team here. Still going in reverse order or reverse alphabetical order, but still, it could end up being this in the standings. Tennessee, 
What question do we have for the volunteers? I won't go first this time. Who wants to go first? Levi, you go first. Yeah, I'll take one. Um, I want to see what Josh Whipple brings to the table for him. It's crazy. I mean, it's the same thing that I just said for Vanderbilt, but I want to see what he brings for their like for their offense because we've seen Josh Whipple teams at UCF. They have looked. They score points. They score points. They get a lot of no passing defense, yards. but they score points. Yeah, a lot of passing yards. Does that translate to the SEC with? A kind of a bare bones roster, like a team that you know is kind of gutted right now. With look, he's all living these up to his Oklahoma heritage, scoring forty two, oh, yeah. giving up thirty four. That's, and, I mean, I actually think those were their stats last year, but still, that's oof. that's UCF football. Yeah, in a want, nutshell, I want to see how well that translates to Tennessee with everything going on around it, because this isn't a Tennessee team that's going to have a lot of good recruits right now. They're not going to be able to kind of build around you don't what's going on. going to play quarterback there next season. Yeah. Like I, I just, you don't, like, there's a lot of questions going in. I want to see what he does. That's my question. What does Josh Hoyple do to try to put Tennessee in the best position to win despite the big rain cloud that is above them, the doom and gloom that is surrounding yeah. the program right now? What does he do? What does he do to try to right the ship? I go a little bit more in depth on that. I say, what is the morale like in Knoxville oh, yeah. next season? Like, do these guys believe in Josh Hoipel? Do they buy into this new coach? Because you saw how many guys transferred out, and that happens when you have coaching changes. Auburn experienced that to a degree. But it kind of felt like all of this was rushed, that it's not like they did their due diligence with the coach. Because you look, they had their AD go out the door as well. You got Philip Fulmer, who, who retires and, and resigns and goes off into retirement again, you know. And then you've got, you lose the head coach in the same week. Both of those things happen in the same week. So not only do you have to hire an AD first, then you got to go hire a coach. Well, where do they get their AD from? They get their AD from UCF. And then who do they hire? The What football coach do they hire? They hire UCF's football coach. Why is that? Because the AD was from UCF, or at least that's what it looks like, or at least that's what it feels like. It felt like Tennessee did this out of convenience and out of comfort more so than actually getting who they want and actually who maybe even Tennessee believes in I I wonder if Tennessee fans even believe if they even believe in this coach if the athletic department as a whole if the university believes in this because it did feel to me rushed had to be because you lost your AD and that's that's pretty bad circumstances and then on top of that you're also dealing with NCAA investigations and whatnot but what's the morale like in Knoxville do they do they feel like the battle's already lost before they step out on the field do these guys buy in to this new coach who I feel like was regressing every single season in UCF? And if you go and look at his year-by-year results and the further and further you get away from Scott Frost, it got worse. Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem the further and further away that you got from Scott Frost, it got a little bit worse. I mean, they were still competing. They were still doing well, especially at the beginning of the tenure. At the tenure but. They drew ever so closer to 500 every single season. And so, yeah. for me, Tennessee... I, I don't I don't trust Josh Hoyple for that reason already wherever he went, but also for the fact that this thing was rushed. Ah, just gotta th- see, it like, doesn't feel like a good fit to me. That's the question. Like, how does this work? Like, does it does it show it's a good fit? I don't know. We'll see. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more 
all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports 983.com. Revisiting a topic that we had to open the show today, ranking Auburn basketball scoring threats for the upcoming 2021-2022 season. We all had Walker Kessler at fourth on that list. Nothing to say about his talent. It's more about how loaded this lineup is and then the nature of the position he plays, the center position, such a difficult position to engineer your own points at because you're not the one who's handling the basketball. But I will say this. I was about to make this point earlier before we went to break. He went to Offensive Rebounding U. He went to Offensive Rebounding University, North Carolina. That school attacks the glass like no other. And he's very familiar with that. And I think that type of presence will allow him, will give him an opportunity to engineer some buckets for him. That That's a way that he could be a scoring threat outside of the normal flow of the offense. He's going to be cleaning up misses. And at seven foot one, it's not that far of a jump for a putback. So Walker Kessler is going to be able to go and do something that I feel like Auburn hasn't been great at over the years. This is going to be an added dimension that I don't think people are talking about enough. He came from the university in college basketball. That offensive re- that like that, that is their thing. Offensive rebounding is their thing. You know all about it, Mr. Duke fan sitting to my left. You know all about it. And <laughs> yeah. then the and then the other school that does it a lot, Baylor. And then look at what they've just done on a national championship so it's an added dimension that i don't feel like auburn has truly had a great presence at being able to get offensive boards and then also transition that into points or to translate that into points it's going to happen now it's not a it's not a far jump back up when you got a seven foot guy down low or a seven foot one guy down low getting offensive boards but let's revisit the list here who is our top three let's try to get through it all right here top three of auburn's scoring threats for the upcoming season I'll go first at three here. I've got Alan Flanagan. I was trying to decide between Alan Flanagan and Walker Kessler. I think both of them play a big part of the offense. But the big part for me about Alan Flanagan and Walker Kessler, I think both of them do, and especially Alan Flanagan's role this year, not as much last year, I think he's going to rely more on Desi Sills and Wendell Green and Zepp Jasper to get him the basketball. I think he's going to play more of a wing role. But he does have the ability with the basketball in his hands to engineer his own points which is what shifted him above walker kessler for me on this list was his ability to engineer points on his own but alan flanagan for me a top three scoring uh top three scoring threat for auburn next season out of the wing i I don't think he plays as big of a role as the next two guys that i have on the list that's fair i mean i i'm sitting here looking i'm thinking it's going to be a guy like Alan Flanagan or like maybe like a Zeb Jasper type of guy sitting here coming out like I don't know how like do we have the same list though Levi I think so okay so Alan Flanagan is your three yes like Alan Flanagan's my three um I think he's going to like I it's hard to say it because he's he does have the ability but I think he's going to get overshadowed by guys who either are going to be more talented than or touch the basketball more than he or touch the basketball more than he does because I do believe we have a Jared Harper type of player uh, coming up on this list in a little bit. Um, but yeah, Alan Flanagan, this is not a knock at him. It's the same way I was talking about Walker Kessler. It's not a knock at the guy because he's talented. He's going to be able to score the basketball. It's just I don't think he will score as much as some of the as the next two guys that I have on the list or be a threat to score. To be a threat, you got to either be, in my opinion, like the, the higher on the list, you're either going to be the, the most talented player on the offensive side of the ball or you're going to have the ball and have more options. A lot, yeah. As a scoring threat. If you have the ball a lot, you're going to be able to score it a lot. 
That's why I think the other two guys are higher on the list. But Alan Flanagan's going to have those nights where he bails you out. He's going to come out and he's going to drop his 20. And he's going to have to come and show up. And he's going to have those nights. I kind of really wonder, like, who plays. Like, he reminds me a little bit of Bryce Brown, but with more athleticism and attacking the bucket. He's a more... He, he can, by the end of his career, like, don't judge Alan Flanagan on what we've seen through these first two years alone because he's a four-year player, probably. He could go pro after next year, maybe. He could, but I think he ends up being a four-year player at the moment. And if he goes four years at Auburn, don't don't evaluate this guy right now for what he's doing at the moment. Evaluate him for at the end because we if we had done that with Bryce Brown after the first two years, I don't think he's as well-rounded of a player as Alan Flanagan looks right now. Alan Flanagan, by the end of his career, can be a more well-rounded two-guard or or three than, depending on how Auburn lines up, than Bryce Brown was because he can play just as good a defense as Bryce Brown. I think he attacks the rim better than Bryce Brown ever did. The big part that Bryce Brown has, has on Alan Flanagan at the moment, Bryce Brown was a more consistent three-point shooter, but Alan Flanagan has not has not finished his development yet it it took Bryce Brown four years to get to that point to be just like dead eye from three and even then he was kind of streaky at times but Bryce Brown was an electrifying scoring threat I wouldn't be shocked if Alan Flanagan got to that point by the end of his career because he's already showing he's already showing the potential for that because he had games where he would score more than 20 points and and win over the basketball game I go back to that South Carolina game I mean, there were so many I mean he was punching out South Carolina players left and right with threes in their face staying who's your three I think I have that uh, Jared Harper type, Jared Harper type guy. You guys were talking about Wendell Green Jr. Yeah, for, learn his name. The, Wendell Green Jr. Yeah, uh, for the sake of being different than you guys, if nothing else, I'm going to put him there just because I don't know exactly. I don't know how he's going to be used. He may be used a lot like Jared Harper and Shreve Cooper, where he's relied on to shoot the ball a lot. Maybe more of a distributor. I just don't know what to expect from him. So I'm going to sure, leave him. Sure, he played basketball at in Eastern Kentucky. That too. I mean, not a knock on a mid major school. I actually think mid major schools produce a lot of really great talent, but you just don't know what to expect. I just don't know. Yeah. And he may be asked more to distribute than he is to score. I would still, with the way that Bruce Pearl's talking about him at the moment, I think this guy's going to score the basketball because that's what he did. At, that's what he did at Eastern and it Kentucky. It makes sense that he would because that's just how Bruce Pearl has used his point guards. But and that's why I've got him as number two on my list in terms of Auburn's scoring threats for this upcoming season. I think he's the second best scoring threat for Auburn basketball next year. You look at this guy's numbers; he was doing it with volume and accuracy, volume and precision. The guy was getting buckets at a high efficiency, even still being at a high volume. And I think a criticism of Jared Harper, even when he was at Auburn, he wasn't always the most efficient point guard in the world. But Wendell Green Jr. right now, at least at Eastern Kentucky, which you would imagine his efficiency is going to drop now that he's coming into the SEC. But the guy can score not only with volume, but with efficiency. He's also got the ability to distribute the basketball. We are looking at the next Jared Harper in an Auburn uniform I kind of feel like it's a disservice though to Wendell Green Jr. though to continue to talk about well this guy's the next Jared Harper no he's the next Wendell Green Jr. and this guy is going to be a name that we're going to remember I feel like Auburn wouldn't have recruited him if it wasn't so and they and this is the heir to the point guard position at Auburn and I think with the volume in which that he shoots the basketball but also for the fact that he touches the basketball every single possession a lot like this this is a guy running the offense the 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 offense is at the end of his fingertips. He is 
the what what is it the puppet master is it is it because he's the one pulling the strings yes, he's, he's the puppet one, master yeah, right. and that is the puppet master yeah yeah i was saying <laughs> and puppet masters have marionettes right yes yeah it's, and he is the guy that gets this offense to go and so window green jr for me because of that number two scoring threat on this on this roster and if Auburn's going to be successful Auburn system's predicated on having a point guard that can do that yeah, I mean, there's a reason he's drawing those Jared Harper comparisons because they play the game in a similar fashion. They've got they got a pocket full of handles that they can use at any moment. They can shoot the ball from beyond the arc. They have that ability to pass as well as score. There's a reason that people keep drawing comparisons to him because he's also, oh, fun fact, playing in the same system at the same university yeah. that Jared Harper played at. You can see him become that kind of guy, but it doesn't materialize with all these mouths to feed because Auburn didn't have at the time when Jared Harper was there, they also didn't have all these shiny toys that they get to play with on offense. That they do now, yeah. That they have. So Jared Harper, Jared was, Harper was the number one scoring threat on that he, roster. He was asked to score the ball a lot. So maybe do we see Wendell Green Jr. take a step back from his scoring role and become more of a facilitator? We don't know. I think he's too talented offensively and he's to hit your point, he's going to have the ball in his hands so much of the time that he's he gonna have going the green light. Yeah, he's going to be a threat to score. He's gonna have the he's gonna have the green light to just to pull up and just jack one at any moment. Sting is your number two, Alan Flanagan. Then yeah, it is Flanagan, okay. and I say that because I think something we're gonna see for him this year. You guys are saying that he's. I think his volume is gonna drop off. I feel like that's an opportunity for him to become more efficient. I like that because that that's the biggest knock on Alan Flanagan at the moment is is efficiency. And he would take some nights off, it would seem like. And those were nights that Auburn did not look good. Which brings us to the top of our list now. I think I know who we all got. Yeah, we all got Jabari Smith. Yeah. And rightfully what? so. Y'all have Jabari Smith? What? <laughs> <laughs> this brings is, out Desi Seal. This like, is what? a shock to me if I ever uh, said. Yeah, we all have Jabari Smith. I mean, it's, it's obvious he's going to be the he's, he's the biggest threat to score going in he's right now. He's yeah, the best player. Yeah, he's going to be the best player on the primary roster. scorer in a, in a Bruce Pearl system or just period, any basketball team. And Jabari Smith is the, is the closest, I, I don't want to say the closest player since Kevin Durant to look like Kevin Durant because there have been some other guys who drew those comparisons going into college. Brandon Ingram comes Yes, to mind. that he, was exactly he, the guy He looked just like Kevin Durant coming into college, and Jabari right. Smith does as well. Yeah, in terms of, and I and I don't just mean play style, I also mean frame the guy. I mean, he's he's slim, He is he's a stretch four. Y'all talk about his height. I mean, what is he, like 6'10", 6'11", somewhere in that category as a, as a, as a four. And he's he's able to shoot the basketball at a high level. 6'10". From beyond the arc and also in the mid-range, really anywhere on the floor, he can score the basketball. His versatility and the ability to score the basketball everywhere. I'm curious how many points this guy averages. We have entered into a day and age of college basketball where it's not uncommon for freshmen to average near 20 points a ball game, especially if their offense runs through them. Now, there are other mouths to feed, and that might bring his average down a little bit, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this guy averages, you know, 17 points or more for Auburn next season. He's a stud. Yeah, I mean, he's going to he's gonna score a lot. I think so. I think he's going to be the guy because best recruit in Auburn history. On the other side of this break, we continue on with our one question for each SEC East football team. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting on the line with us. 30 minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck coming up, as they do every weekday from 4 to 6. 
Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at RadioALSports. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Something funny happened during the break. There's a Random College Athletes Twitter account. Literally, the, the bio is just Random College Athletes. And you can find it on Twitter at Random Athletes with an extra S there. They, they just post random players for some reason. I, I don't get it, but I saw something that triggered me during the break. Juice Williams appeared out of Illinois, the quarterback from 06 to 09, which I, I know without a doubt there's somebody driving right now or, or listening to the show like, who's Juice Williams? I'm like, well, you weren't watching that Illinois football team back in the late 2000s that went to a BCS game. And Levi and I are talking about Juice Williams in here, in here, and then he pauses and he looks at he looks at Sting and he says, "Hold on a second, do you know who Juice Williams is?" Sting says, "Well, I do now," and I'm like, "We're old." That's why he's on a random college football account because that's what happens. You get old people. Like, I mean, I, I showed Sting a picture of Juice Williams running the football. And I asked him, if I showed you this picture and I didn't just tell you what years this guy played quarterback, I showed it to him, I said, what decade is this? He's like, I'd say late 90s. And I'm like, <laughs> well, to be fair, that wasn't too much before Juice Williams. I mean, that wasn't that many years yeah. before it was Juice a Williams. Decade. It was like, yeah, it was like nine or ten Not years. If you're saying he's That's a long time, though. Think about how long ago, ten years ago, was from now. Yeah, I mean that was 2011. I was. You That's know, a year after you know. Cam Newton won the national championship. It's actually a couple of months if we're going by oh, like down yeah. to the day. True, true. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a long time. I mean, we're a long time away from the late 1900s. And I wasn't watching about much that. Big Ten football at the time. You're telling you're defense. telling me you're telling me in 2006 you didn't wake up to watch Appalachian State pull off the upset of the century. I remember, no, I, watched it happen on I remember that day. I do remember watching that because like I that I was, was back a wee when young child. I had like three like channels I could watch because we had like Sting old was still cable. playing with Tinker Toys back then. 2006. I was in. What? 2006. <laughs> 2006 to show my age. I was, that was middle school for me. Like 2006. I was in the sixth grade watching. Watching Appalachian 2006? State, Michigan. 2006? I thought it was 2007. Or 2007. Then I was in the seventh grade then. I was still in middle school. Just one year off. So that the show the show that I'm getting old, I'm sure there are people out there listening like, yeah, that would be like the, these guys think they're old. They have no idea. <laughs> I just think it's funny, though, that there's a whole generation in college right now that just like does not know what went on in the 2000s. Like doesn't have really any knowledge of like, like could, sports history that, in the two thousands. Like that, we're reaching that like like we're that far. Like our childhood now. Like we're a, reaching that point where like people don't really yeah, know as much because this is not the first time this week that this has happened. Said, that we, we've been talking. Week, there was, no, there was we, there was a person that me and you both know that does not that did not know who Mariano Mariano Rivera was for the Yankees or Trevor Hoffman. And I was like, what? what? Yeah, like there are people who don't know who those guys are, and I mean that's. That's part of it. I mean, I don't know a lot of athletes that played, you know, some of the, the fringe athletes of the 90s and 80s. And my boss at the restaurant that I work at, the owner, he'll always ask me about, oh, so do you remember this guy? Do you know this guy? And he'll, like, give me a full stat line of him. He said, you got to know these when you're on radio. And I said, well, a lot of the people who know those people, they're 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 getting older and they're probably not really caring to listen to us talk about Auburn football right now because – they don't like they don't remember like we don't remember those people. So like I have a little bit more of a knowledge because one, I'm a big sports nerd and I'm looking up stuff like that, as are you. You you, you kind of absorb the game, but it's hard to know about these people when you didn't grow up or were alive watching them. 
it's hard because you have to actively go back in and look at highlights and look up these guys' stats and educate yourself on them. It's hard. The value of spoken word. Just sit down and, and listen to people tell you stories. Oh, I, I know that. about this stuff. So with my dad, talk with him all the time. All the time. But let's don't show our youth. Let's keep going. <laughs> One question for each SEC East team here. Continuing on with that, we, we've talked about Vanderbilt. We've talked about Tennessee. Sting's going to start it off on South Carolina. He's got some interesting topics on the South Carolina Gamecocks. So my question for them is, really, it's really pretty simple. Is it's, Can Shane Beamer start to set this program on the right path? Because I think South Carolina is a football program right now that is about as down as bad as they could possibly be. Because it wasn't Hold that long now. Ago. They play in the same division as Vanderbilt. Yeah, but, well, no, and it's more than just in the and SEC, Tennessee. right? Because I mean, it wasn't that long ago that South Carolina had just beaten Clemson for the fifth year in a row and was walking all over them every year. And now they've lost six in a row to Clemson. Would have been seven if not for this past season with the pandemic taking out non-conference rivalries. Well, we're far removed at the moment. From... I guess we are far removed. It really wasn't that long ago. I can really pretty clearly remember. Seeing stuff, it was like five in a row, or whatever, for South Carolina, and and I think and I think everybody eventually you always know that it's going to come back around. It, it's cyclical, but I don't think anybody could have seen Clemson becoming the giant that they are today, or at least not to this degree. In my opinion, I didn't think I didn't think Clemson would be well. No, that at one number point, two to Alabama. At one point, early in Dabo Sweeney's head coaching career, there was a term known as Clemsoning. Yeah, it, and it was blowing it was a the meme. game. It was. It totally was, and they don't do that anymore. They did. No. They they were doing that up to 2014. I mean, I remember everybody they, everybody forgot about Clemsoning. Clemsoning yeah. is no longer a thing. I'm pretty sure they Clemsoned a game against Florida State about I six remember, or seven years ago. I remember 20. I want to say it was 2011. They went to Maryland on a Friday night when they were still in the ACC. They went into they went into Maryland and lost that game, and everybody was like, "Well, typical Clemson, Clemsoning again." And then yeah. it just it was happening every year, and now they've built themselves into. A respectable a, program. A monster. Everybody I mean. laughed at like this. Everybody used to think South Carolina getting to play Clemson. They were like, oh, I wish I got to play an ACC team for my end of the year game. And they don't They don't say that anymore now. No, they're just they like, they're like, poor South Carolina. Yeah. They have to play Clemson every year. Fun fact, actually, Clemson leads that all-time series by about 30 games. No, I'm sure. I mean, like South Carolina <laughs> wasn't – like South Carolina really wasn't that good for most of, you know, right. most of their yeah, – And it's kind of Most of their life, man, but at least for – the past like decade before like the Dabo Sweeney era, people were like, "Oh, with the Steve Spurrier area at South Carolina." People were just like, "Oh," and, and that is about as they, toxic of a rivalry as you can get. I mean, they were in sports. I think South Carolina. Hold Clemson. on a second. The Egg Bowl's pretty bad. Oh, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the most. You, but, you don't lose a football. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen South Carolina Clemson lose a football game because someone tried to pretend like they were urinating in an end zone. South Carolina students tried to burn Clemson University to the ground once. When was so, it? Was about a hundred years ago, but it happened. I mean, yeah, but, yeah that's pretty just, bad. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe we should bookmark the uh, the rivalry discussion for like later in the summer when we're just kind of dry and say like, what are the most toxic, toxic rivalries? Not the best, not the not toxic. the most, yeah, not the most historic. Just, the ones that are and like they don't even have to be true rivalry games. Just like when these two teams play, bad, bad. stuff things stuff happens. hits the fan. Like bad things yeah. are happening. My question about South Carolina for this upcoming year: Can they make it to? A bowl game. This team recruits better than the Vanderbilts. They, they they have the same amount of talent, I feel like, on their roster as like 
an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State, and those teams make bowl games. Why can't they do it? And they play in the East. They got East Carolina, Eastern Illinois, Troy, and Clemson in their non-conference, so they're going to go three and one, which means they Whoa, have to find. I thought they were going one and three. I think they lose to East Carolina. I think they lose to Troy, and I think they lose to Clemson. They wow. lose to all FBS teams on this. Really, yeah. you're going that far? Every time I feel like they play Eastern Carolina, it's a kind of it's a lot closer That's than it point. should be, and it's you know but they're not at a, home. This is a vastly different East Carolina program that than true. it was early in the 2010s, and that's true. But this is also a vastly different South, South Carolina, Carolina team, team than the was than it was back then too. You're right. I'm not going to say that. Like I think I'm not going to say that they outright like are 100 going to lose that game. But if they lost to East Carolina and Troy. I would not be surprised in the slightest. Or if they lost to either or. Either or, both of them, I wouldn't be surprised because I kind of Well, just bear with me that. here. For the sake of the yes. argument, let's For say the they go, go yeah. three and one, okay? Let's, let's do it. You're going to lose to Georgia. You're going to lose to Florida, okay? you got to find three SEC wins. You're going to lose to Auburn. There's three right there that you've lost right off the bat. Can you find three wins between what, what are you what are, what are you looking I'm at just me saying man that Auburn South Carolina game is that's the kind a of game that, that Auburn is, would lose they did is, it last season it's re, it's retribution this year if had they I not lost it last right. year then maybe but it, it's it's retribution this year so then you got to find three wins out of Missouri Texas A&M Vanderbilt Tennessee and Kentucky and the question is can they find that does South Carolina win these 50-50 games and try to set a positive tone to the beginning of the Shane Beamer era can you find those wins I I don't know I don't know. They got a pretty good quarterback coming in, Luke Doty, sophomore. He committed to them in the class of like 2020 or maybe a year before that. Four-star quarterback was the number four dual-threat quarterback. They liked this guy. He was named the starting quarterback. Does this team win those 50-50 games that they have been traditionally losing at least enough to get Muschamp fired last year? So that, that's the big question there. I think we need to squeeze one more team in. Let's get through the, this bottom half of the league. Missouri, what's the questions facing the Missouri Tigers this upcoming year? I mean, I've got – I've mine's the same thing I ask for all the time. Do they have a quarterback? How is Connor – like, what is he – he's one of That's the my more question. returning guys. So what, is, what are we going to get we saw out of flashes. Yeah, like he had flashes where he looked like he could be a guy to lead Missouri. Maybe not back to the SEC championship game, but – at least put them competing with guys like Florida. Five and five last year. They could do it. I mean, they have what I'm looking at seems to be a favorable out-of-conference schedule. I mean, the biggest name on that out-of-conference or the non-conference is at Boston College. You should be able to win that game. So, I mean, if you win Central Michigan, Southeast Missouri, Boston College, North Texas, watch out for the Mean Green. But if you win those four games, you're looking at 4-0. and Then all you got to do is just pull a couple of upsets. You got Texas A&M at home. We don't know what we're getting out of them. You got Vanderbilt. You can play at Kentucky early on. That could really put you in a good trajectory. So, And I think that comes down to what are we getting out of the quarterback position? Is Basilak going to be enough to kind of carry this Missouri team to the upper, to the top tier? Maybe not like the top, top tier, but to the top half of the SEC. Going through our one question for each SEC East team, I'll put mine in for Missouri here. Since you said Basilak, which Basilak is on my paper, I will go in a different direction here. Will Missouri be 8-0 going into the Georgia game? There is not a team through those first eight games other than A&M. I think A&M, because of how they recruit, has more talent than Missouri. But considering all that they lost from last year's team, 
I think Missouri, with what they bring back and how they played last year under Drinkwitz in his first season, and then Basilak coming back. I like this Missouri team. They beat A&M. They're 8-0 going into the Georgia game. So you think they beat – do you think they win at Kentucky and, and at Boston College as well? I think that they're better than those teams going into this upcoming That's year. That's fair. That's why I asked the question, yeah. will they be 8-0? Because your 50-50 games are Boston College, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. Do you sweep that group? And if you do – you're in the mix at the end of the year, man. You're eight no. You're in the mix. You're going to lose to Georgia. I think they lose to Georgia. You're eight and one after that point, and then South, Car- uh, South Carolina, and then Flor- you got South Carolina, and Florida at home in back to back weeks. And so then this Florida team, which we'll talk about on the other side of this break, this Florida team, they're beatable, I think, because yeah. I, I think they're going to struggle throwing Definitely. the football this upcoming year. So it's right. like. I mean, it's, this seems like yeah, that seems like a good lineup so, for Georgia. You're going to have an eight and zero Missouri team that they'll probably put in the top ten. Yeah, Georgia I mean, will beat the brakes off of them, and everybody's going to go. They're winning the national championship. Georgia's the best team ever because that seems about <laughs> something that would happen for Georgia. And, and, Why and, do I feel like I'm having deja vu right now? <laughs> and Missouri very well could be nine and one going into that Florida game. And if the and I don't think it would be out of the question a nine and one Missouri team against a Florida team that will have lost to Alabama and Georgia at that point two loss maybe even they suffer another loss somewhere else but let's say a two loss Florida team one loss Missouri team I, I wouldn't put it out of the equation that Missouri wins that game and somehow finds a way to sneak into second place in the SEC East and then the narrative after this football season we're talking about Drinkwitz as one of the hot shot coaches in the country and in the SEC after this upcoming football season but on the other side of this break we get to the final three teams of the SEC East that we got questions for Kentucky Georgia and Florida all coming up on the other side of this break wrapping up the show here on on the line Noah Gardner Levi Fitzwater alongside intern Sting Last segment of the show, then it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack from 4 to 6 p.m. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Get your crime show fix on CBS starting at 7 with NCIS and then at 8 with FBI. Some movie selections for tonight. Wolverine heads to Japan after finding out there is a way for him to remove his immortality. The Wolverine is on AMC at 7. Another installment of the Fast and the Furious series, The Fate of the Furious, is on FX at 6. A detective is hired to find the Miami Dolphins missing mascot. Ace Ventura, pet detective, is on IFC at 7. In live sports, there's one MLB game to be nationally televised with the Boston Red Sox at the New York Mets at 6:10 on ESPN. In college baseball, Georgia Tech and Georgia take their rivalry to the baseball diamond at 7 on SEC Network. There are two NBA games on TV at 6 on NBA TV. Catch the Milwaukee Bucks and the Charlotte Hornets. At 8:30, it's the lone TNT game and it's on the West Coast. The Dallas Mavericks travel out to California to play the sharpshooting Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up the show here on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting with you for today's show. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. we got about five minutes left in the show here. Actually, I think it was five minutes to the second when I was saying that. So one question for each SEC East team. We're not going to have enough time, I don't think, to get through all of them. So we're going to save the best for last tomorrow. Florida, Georgia, we will come back to tomorrow. We're talking about some of the peripheral teams today. And we're going to do this for all the SEC West teams too. So let's get into it right here and we'll probably even dive into some of the sec west teams tomorrow i guess but kentucky the next team on the list here what question do we have for the kentucky wildcats going into the 2021 year 
do they make that next leap? They've been the fringe team for a while. We've kept hearing about them. What are they going to do? Are they going to move up? Like, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, we've heard that, and we hear Stoops saying that they're they're closer to Alabama, Georgia, and Florida than, you know, most teams. But are they? Do they take that next step? Because they've been the middle-of-the-pack fringe team. Because you got to think, they came a long way. They used to be pretty bottom of the barrel when it comes to SEC football. They've made some strides. They've been a middle-of-the-pack to above-average team. Do they take that next step? And you look at their schedule, It if when I'm looking at the schedule, it looks like, at least on paper, that they could look like they're taking another step. But it also, in, in my opinion, it depends on how do you play against Florida? How do you play against – do you finally get the win against Florida? Do you – Them in Missouri are kind of in similar boats. Yes. Different roster makeups and different individual issues inside their football program. I think Missouri's got the talent ready to go, ready to win some ball games. You look at Kentucky at the moment – I'm wondering right now about the quarterback department. I think they've lost some of the talent that they had. But they brought it back, though, out of the transfer portal. So my question for Kentucky is, and going a little bit more into what's going on with the roster makeup, will Kentucky's offense be more well-rounded with the addition of quarterback and wide receiver transfers? You get Levis out of Penn State transferring in at the quarterback position. But in the meantime, you've also got Joey Gatewood and then there's another quarterback that, for some reason, I'm forgetting that's been on the roster too as well. That was a relatively, uh, for Kentucky standards, a relatively highly rated recruit that that is on the program as well. So you got three guys battling for the starting role. Levis murkies that competition a little bit or makes it more more hotly contested with a guy coming out of Penn State that's got that talent. So you got three guys vying for the starting quarterback role at Kentucky. And then the big issue for Kentucky all these years is they can't throw the football. Terry Wilson couldn't throw the football. That's true. A much much worse uh, Jalen I mean, Hurts. A much much worse Jalen Hurts. I mean, you had you had a receiver playing quarterback for you yes. for a few years because Bowden, they were Lim, so bad. Well, Limbo, not a few Limbo, years. Which are, you know, the, the end of the year. Limbone was fun to watch. Like he uh, was. He, ooh. But it, it keeps them from winning. It, they have no chance to beat a. They have no chance to even compete on the same field as a Georgia or a Florida. Or, or the better teams on their schedule when all you could do is run the football. I don't know. Auburn you beat them I don't last know. You year keep, because they couldn't throw the football. You keep saying that Florida can't throw the football this year. That's so true. The, yeah, that's true. Maybe this I, well, year. I mean, Georgia, though. And, and, no, and, and if they were to play Alabama, I don't think that, they're playing Alabama this year. They're though. not. They have a very, very favorable draw. They're two uh, SEC West teams. They're the you Mississippis, have, aren't you, they? You have Mississippi and LSU. And, mm. and LSU is also. They may in, not be able to throw the football. And LSU, yeah, for different reasons, <laughs> because they don't have a quarterback at all. And yeah. LSU is at at home. Uh, it's in you know it's in Kentucky. At Mississippi State, it's always tricky. You know you're dealing with the Cowbells. But you know last time LSU team. played at Kentucky, I'm pretty sure Kentucky that, won. I think it was that? back in like 2014. And then even prior to that, they had that crazy triple overtime game back in like 2006 yeah. 2007 era i think it was 2007 the year the lsu won so the national just looking championship at you like what it was the year I lsu won. right it was the year lost, lsu won that two. national championship yeah. game and they, they lost to them that year you're yeah. right one of the losses was arkansas there's yeah. an espn or not an espn there's like an sec story of of that game where they go back and like recap it and I everything was, i remember i was camping with my family we were listening to that on the radio and it was it was pretty hype because you know but we're all was. cheering against lsu for that for that matter <laughs> but yeah to go back on to Kentucky, good it did us good. Yeah, they, yeah, didn't really help us, but we were we were cheering for them. I mean, you're you're taking on Chattanooga, you're taking on Louisiana Monroe, you've got New Mexico State and Louisville. Watch out for Louisville. I think they're a, a sneakier good team in the ACC. Obviously, I don't think they're competing and winning in the ACC in terms of you know Clemson's still there, but they're a, a sneakier team that could pose. 
problems late down the stretch in a rivalry game. But you could be going into that. You should be going into the Florida game. Unde- like you, you're probably going in one loss, or you could go in undefeated if you beat Missouri. Like, and they're kind of spaced out. So it's like you got Missouri early in the year, second game. That's a test. A few weeks later, Florida. Then you got Georgia. And it's like where like you kind of progressively check yourself throughout there. You lose that Missouri game. You're not looking good for the rest of the season. You no. can figure out how fast the wheels fall off on this early or not. That's it for another edition of On the Line. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack coming up after us here in just a few short minutes at 4 p.m. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.